When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. After the holidays, a little cash goes a long way. The Chime checking account has tons of benefits to help, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of fee-free ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members of FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Hey, now, is your company so busy and so big that all you're really doing is keeping the wheels on the bus? You're really only maintaining this high growth that you have, but you're not really thinking about the future because you don't have time. Most of your executives are focused on right now. Well, listen, I've got a solution for you. It's a little secret known as Serendipity Interactive. This company specializes in helping you make fortunate discoveries of tomorrow today while you maintain your present. If you're interested in understanding how they can help you make those fortunate discoveries, visit www.serendipityinteractive. That's www.serendipityinteractive.com. Tell them Chris sent you. And how about we can work with you in order to make your fortunate discoveries today? Hey, executives, I know it's that time of the year. You're thinking about next year. You're thinking about what can we do to bridge the gap of our emerging leadership and our current executives in order to maintain and build out knowledge and succession planning and institutional knowledge and all of those different things. Well, we have a solution for you. Let us help you with our one day intensive, the high level wisdom workshop, where we come to you, help you build out your knowledge roadmaps, talk about succession planning. And more importantly, we help you build and implement the ideas that are necessary and the best practices that we are learning in order to help your company thrive into the future. If you want more information, feel free to send me an email, Chris at highlevelwisdom.com today. Hey, do you listen to our show on a regular basis? I bet you do. And because you listen to our show, I'm sure a lot of times you have questions that you would love to get answered. 
Well, we want to provide you an opportunity to get those questions answered. Yes, introducing hashtag Ask a CEO. You can go to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at High Level Wisdom and send us a question that you would like for us to ask the CEOs that we interview and the CEOs inside of our network. Once we have your question through social media, we will get those answers and then we will make sure that we respond back to you and even talk about it on the show. Again, this is Ask a CEO. Use the hashtag Ask a CEO and make sure that you reach out to us with your question and we'll get them answered. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome to another episode. Welcome to part two of my interview with the CEO, a great CEO, by the way, by the name of David Braun. And he runs a awesome company with the tagline of the growth engineers. I love that. Uh, he helps his clients implement their dreams through this company called Capstone. So if you're a CEO, you're an executive and you've been running your company for quite a while, you guys are growing, but you have absolutely no idea how to strategize to the next level, to how to work through a successful merger uh, that you're looking to make, uh, what kind of things you need to be concerned about and focused on based on the deal and the research. And how do I even uh, do an evaluation for my company? This guy gets it. More importantly, he is sharing his insights, his stories and his wisdom with our emerging leadership and you as an executive on the show today. So I want you to sit back Make sure you got some notes, uh, get a pad and a pen and man, take time out uh, today. And thank you for even starting this show by listening to my interview with the CEO of Capstone, David Braun. That's right. And, you know, speaking of manufacturing, um, I have <laughs> I have studied um, manufacturing for the last several years now. And um, I, I, <laughs> I kind of find it funny because um, when I look at other industries, I uh, look at what and, and even I would say newer industries, right? Digital the industry as a whole uh, and what people mm-hmm. are able to do. Um, everybody has been able to either in some ways now, some larger companies just refuse to change what their approach to their customer or reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. But you look at a company like a Chase Bank. Um, Chase Bank has done such a great job of, you know, traditionally are were they a brick and mortar institution? Absolutely. But they have also done a very good job over the last several years, allowing you to notice that they are now a uh, somewhat of a fintech company that just so happens to play in financial services. Right. The marketing, the commercials, the way they go about, you know, telling their story. They don't, you know, do those things. Some other financial institutions have yet to catch up to that. Right. Manufacturing is another one of those industries where I go. There's. they they need that unlock. They need that new way of storytelling. To your point, right. sales might be of completely different track that is tied to the same thing, only because the 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 model is different now. The disruption it's more right. of a dis, it's less it's not even just a disruption as you said. It's a completely new path, and not right. that things don't need to be made. Still, the difference is, is how they go about telling that story and getting it down to the end user. Um, where before, to your point on that path, you had to go through all those different channels. Now I can make something and give it directly to my customer. I do not have mm-hmm. to go through, you know, all these different, you know, uh, channels in order to make something happen, uh, on my own. And so I look at manufacturing, you know, it's not the sexiest, uh, it's not the, it hasn't become the, the number one, uh, thing that, that 
you know, talent is being attracted to. But I'll ask you this, David, the, the things that you've seen and what you've put together and the people that you talk to, you know, how how can they even go about what are some ideas that you feel you have around how they should go about attracting millennials to come and help, uh, you know, breathe life into that space like they like millennials have done with technology or millennials have done with, you know, other industries. What kind of things do you think, you know, millennials can bring to the table when it comes to manufacturing? Um, so you've asked I, I, I heard your question kind of on two sides of that equation. One is, you know, what can millennials bring to the equation and the other side of it was how does how do these manufacturing companies attract millennials? And I, I first of all, we do we work with a lot of manufacturing companies. A lot of our clients produce things, which I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and I, I love that because you know we can't forget our manufacturing base in the sense that you know we all like to eat and we all like to drive and get to places and live in a nice place and work in a nice place, but somebody's got to build all that stuff. Um, and I think there's a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people that are able to, to do those things. So on the, um, on what millennials I think have to offer, I, I think that they have the ability to bring a new perspective uh, to manufacturing companies that, you know, hasn't necessarily been thought of before. And you know, there's a there's a great GE commercial if you've seen it, where um, the mom and dad are in the in their living room, and the son's telling them that he's going to go work for GE. And um, so the the dad puts out the sledgehammer on the table and tells the son, you know, your grandpappy would be really proud of you because he was a he was in the manufacturing world, and I want you to have grandpappy's you know sledgehammer and. And the kid's sort of looking at it, sort of an awkward-looking young man, and and uh, he and the dad says, "No, you can't pick it up, can you? Go ahead, pick it up." And he's he's kind of joking with him and taunting with him that you know there's that great divide where here's a guy coming into work for a company like GE, and you should that means you should be you know a manufacturing guy and a physical guy. And the, the point of the commercial is, GE does a lot more than just manufacturing. That's stuff. right. They do a lot on, on the technology side. And so I, I think that millennials can bring a fresh perspective of how, first of all, how uh, the technology might have uh, an input. And I think we're already starting to see it, but I think we see it in larger manufacturing companies as opposed to smaller manufacturing companies in the sense for, you know, really how, and I don't just mean the robotics part of it, you know, through automation, but just how technology can help them. Let me give you an example. We work with a, a number of small to mid-sized manufacturing companies that 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 don't use social media. Uh, they don't even really know what social media is all about. And so part of it is is how do we start getting some of that thinking and that knowledge um, in there uh, in that space. Uh, I was speaking at a business school, and, and this young man uh, came up to me afterwards and said, you know, would you mind if I talked with you a little bit offline? I said, sure, you know. So he kind of pulled me to the side of this large room, conference room, where we, you know, not conference room, uh, ballroom type of environment, and he said, he said, you know, a lot of people in the business school are talking about going to work on Wall Street and private equity and all that, and he goes, you know, I really want to go, my passion is really about going to work for the railroads. So I said, wow, that's exciting. That's awesome. And and I said, well, you know, why, why is that? And he told me a little bit about his family. And, and he just, he loves railroads and 
logistics and you know that whole side of things. And he said, but I actually feel a little awkward because I think I'm the only one in my class who has that aspiration. And he says, you know, what do you think about that? First of all, the fact that he kind of pulled me aside to get my opinion on that I thought was a little interesting. But I said, oh, my gosh, go for it. Right. We need people like you exactly. in these organizations. I mean, you bring great talent. We need you in these organizations. By all means, please do go there. Um, so I followed up with him a year later, and he did end up going to work for them. And, and he seemed to be extremely happy. But it's almost a little bit of a... You know, like uh, uh, you know, it's I won't use the word embarrassment, but it's not really well uh, necessarily talked about or thought about. Uh, yeah, because that's sort of the well, that's sort of the old economy. Right, um, it's just not sexy. That's what I tell people all the time yeah, when I go exactly. speak. I, yeah, I tell exactly. people all the time what technology has done, and some of these other companies have done very well through storytelling, their commercials, their ad placement, the way they go about, you know, making sure people know who they are. Is they've made their industry sexy. They've yep, made it the new right. thing. You know, when it's not really the new thing, it's just uh, a that's thing right. that has been reinvented. And I think you know, manufacturing right. has that opportunity right now in a large way, especially. Here in the United yes. States, because uh, that's what we're founded on. We built things, and right. that's how America, right. you know, became to be who it is. Right. Um, right. And, and so there's there's a ton of things there, and, and and I swear we could actually spend an entire day just having this conversation because yeah. so many things that I know that uh that could be brought to the table. But I want to I want to shift gears here just for a second when we're talking about millennials and and you know we talked about attracting them to the manufacturing industry. Why do you think millennials are attracted to what you do and in in a, such an industry that is, I won't even just say competitive, it's probably ultra competitive, but more mm-hmm. importantly, um, there's, I won't say there's a, there's not a lot of room, uh, but I would say a lot of it is so much built on um, who you know, the relationship that you have and somewhat of a forward thinking kind of uh, uh a layout with some of your clients. Why do you think millennials kind of love that particular industry as a whole? Um, I think it's been romanticized, you know, a little bit like your conversation about fintech um, and how they've done a good job of romanticizing it. And I think, you know, business schools promote a lot about Wall Street and, you know, wealth management and private equity in particular and venture capital. And I think, I think part of it is they see this as the, you know, as as the rainbow and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in the sense that look at how a lot of these private equity or venture capital have, you know, been involved in things that end up with, you know, huge payouts, you know, like Facebook and Snapchat and potentially uh, Airbnb and Uber. Um, and so I think they see that as as, you know, this romantic kind of, you know, opportunity. But to your point, it's very competitive. It's it's like playing in the NFL. I mean, there, you know, to get to that level uh, is not easy. There are not that many positions um, that really get a seat at the table. And I think the, I will tell you one of the things that um, I'll use the word troubles me is I think some people are attracted to it just because of the money. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I really think it needs to be much deeper than that. I think you have to really have passion for um, what 
what this what what you're doing you know the kind of work that you're doing I, when I'm when I'm speaking to younger people at business schools is I will say to them you know you know a lot, how many of you want to go work for private equity and you get a lot of hands raised and then I start talking to them about you know do you know what that means you know do you, do you understand what kind of lifestyle that means and and what you're doing and by the way I say this to lawyers too you know a lot of people think being a lawyer is pretty glamorous but you know you talk to lawyers that are practitioners in the M&A world and they will tell you it's grueling i mean it doesn't mean that doesn't mean you don't want to do it and doesn't mean you shouldn't do it or be interested in it but just just kind of go in eyes wide open exactly um you know and i think that's where you know people need to get a, a better sense for reality versus the romanticization of, of some of these areas where you see you see the the happy stories and people making a lot of money but there's an awful lot that don't end up that way and there's an awful lot of people that work tremendously long hours um, you know seven days a week um, because you can't you know I got we do a lot of international work and you know, I'm, you know, just this, this, this year alone, I was working every single holiday, every single U.S. holiday, including July 4th. And, you know, that's not something that everybody necessarily is ready to sign up for. And, right. and I'll tell you, let me just add one other point to that, because that's really punctuated. I, I get more questions now when I'm speaking to younger people, like in business schools, about that work-life balance. And, and that's, that's the part of the conversation where we get a little bit of a disconnect because they want all of the fruits that go into this romanticized world, but yet they also want to be able to ride their bike, you know, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm making it a little bit funny to, right. to make the point. Right. But, and they want to know how about that work-life balance. And I said, just keep in mind, you're competing with people that are willing to go all in and work seven days a week. So just understand that. You know, you're competing for global talent that doesn't necessarily – care about that work-life balance their, their work-life balance is work um and and so just they be, have the perfect imbalance that. in their mind <laughs> yeah it's exactly and what i tell people is it can be episodic so you have periods where you got to be all in on one but you also have periods where you got to be all in on on family for example or, or right. your own uh, stuff so it's just not going to be kind of that leave it to beaver you know go to work at nine come home at five and you know you're going to have this sort of nine to five lifestyle that that part of the digital world is a little bit of both the positive and the negative I suppose where you're you're expected to be on no matter where you are in the globe you're expected to be on and, and ready to go that's right and I, I will I always um, I liken it to sports athletes you know mm -hmm. the, the the LeBron James of the world the you know Peyton Manning's the you know the, the Tom Brady's the, you know we see them for four hours on a Sunday, we have absolutely right. no idea what their work schedule, the six hours a day they put in in training. The, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many things that um, that they invest in, and there are also so many things that they give up. Uh, right. To to to, in some ways, purely from a, a a business standpoint, entertain us, right? But they're ultra right. competitive, and they're looking for every opportunity to have that edge, and so. Just because we might not be throwing, you know, you know, 500 touchdowns or, you know, dunking a basketball, we have to sometimes realize that uh, you got to put the work in and that work That's might right. that work might be, mean there might be seasons <laughs> in which you That's are right. you are a uh, 100 percent ultra focused um, to to achieve a, a desired end. And, 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 and thinking about that, David, I'm, I'm curious as to. What do you think about um, 
the benefits of 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 both a baby boomer and millennial. And, and, and here's what I mean. Obviously, everybody brings something to the table. Um, you know, whether some people see it as positive or negative is all about perspective. Where do you see and then we'll flip the, the, the coin on the opposite end. Where do you see millennials can be such a great benefit to baby boomers and then vice versa? Mm hmm. First of all, let me say, uh, in my opinion, I think millennials get uh, mislabeled. Um, you know, I think they, they, you know, they, 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 they get a little bit of a bad rap, in my opinion. You know, they, they get sort of labeled as being impatient, which I said a little bit earlier. I talked about patience on the baby, baby boomer side of it. Um, they get labeled as being lazy. They get labeled as being, you know, all about them and needing the trophy. And I, I, I got to tell you, I just don't see. I mean, there, is there some of that? Yeah, but I see that with everybody. Um, so I think they get a little bit mischaracterized and, and over-generalized. I think baby boomers bring a fresh perspective to where we can go as a society. And I think they bring a fresh perspective around ideas that, to me, are really exciting. And, and, and let's think about this. You probably have an iPhone near you. Um, I have the new Plus near me, actually. <laughs> there you go. How you know how many years we've had an iPhone? It's only been like ten years. Yeah, just ten years. Right. So I mean, think about that. So to me, what's incredibly exciting is to be able to tap into their vision for where we could go with technology to the next level. And that's what I think is is really exciting for a lot of these folks. And and it isn't just technology, you know, like your iPhone or Facebook or things like that. But it's you know technology around the operating table or how we take care of the elderly in nursing homes um, or how we handle uh, teaching. Uh, you know, for example, in you know, in a lot of places, platform teaching where you got to sit down and start taking notes and listening to a teacher at 8 o'clock in the morning is maybe not the most effective way to teach. How can we use technology differently with these MOOCs Absolutely. Um, for yeah. higher education? You know what I mean? So to me, that's exciting. And I'll tell you why it's exciting because as a Generation Xer, I don't have that same ability necessarily to have that experience that they bring to the table. So for me, that's a really that's a really powerful window into what could be. And mm -hmm. so I think that's that's to me what's really exciting because I think they'll be that they're going to be that next wave of people that are going to get us to the moon in the you know whatever getting to the moon is right. for their generation. Right. And that's what I think is is exciting. That's pretty cool. So you know you you talked about it and, and I I don't want to kind of dive into it now. Um being an Xer um you know typically also called the sandwich generation. Uh, right. what, what, what's it like, David, to in some ways raise a millennial and be coached by a baby boomer? What's what's that experience <laughs> been like in your in your career? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I have two millennials and uh, have plenty of baby boomers for uh, for clients. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I think one of the. Uh, opportunities is to, um, you know, try to take the best of both. Um, and I think that's 
to me it's it's kind of fun. I mean, it's challenging at times, but it, I think it's kind of fun. And, and so, for example, one of the things that I particularly enjoy talking to baby boomers about is is a bit of history. And I don't mean that just history from the standpoint of only thinking about the past, but it's more around, you know, they've seen a lot. Um, they, they've seen, in many cases, you know, what war looked like, whether it be the Vietnam War That's right. or the the, the, uh, the Mideast Wars. You know, they've been through a lot, but they've also been through a lot in terms of change of technology in their lives. Um, and they were a bit of a tail generation in the sense that the World War II veterans that generation really controlled things um, for a long period of time That's where right. they were a little bit in the shadows there. And so in addition to that, from a market standpoint, you know, they've seen some pretty significant changes in the market from the standpoint of, you know, the oil embargoes where you had to, you know, have a have an odd or an even number to get gas, you know, back in the 70s. Um, to you know the booming uh, years of the 90s to the downfall of, of the 2000s I mean they've, they've seen a lot of things going on and and I think to me part of that is 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 learning a little bit about what do you learn from that so how do you prepare for that you know how do you prepare for you know things that you don't know are going to happen and that's one of the th that's one of the perspectives that I particularly like and and I got to tell you the more that you know I I see kind of how they operate and in my interaction with them what I've also kind of come to realize is that they are you know they they I think have a perspective that says you know what let's not let's not take ourselves too seriously and lose sleep every night over this where we're wringing our hands all the time um and so I I think that balance of you know like most people that have been around for a long time give you a perspective of the importance of not um, becoming too overreactive, but at the same time preparing for what could be. So I, that to me, I think us Generation Xers have a little bit of a, you know, we're, we're sandwiched because, you know, we don't really have an identity of either one of those. So I think we get to touch each, you know, we get to reach up and touch a little bit of the history and then we get to reach down and touch a little bit from the younger folks about, uh, you know, what could be. And I, I think that's a pretty unique vantage point. Uh, it it, it really is. <clears throat> and I, I love history myself. And, and uh, it's part of the reason uh, was the start of even this show, um, mm -hmm. because I, I, I think that to your point, you know, coming out of a, a world war <laughs> and the country having to decide, well, what do we do now with all of these people? <laughs> um, right. You know, and how that changed so many things that was going on. But uh you know, most of the baby boomers that I talk to, um, uh, they remind me of, or let me say one of the ways that really sums up what a baby boomer would say to millennials and, and younger folks as, as all these changes happen is what uh, the great philosopher Aaron Rodgers said last year, R-E-L-A-X, you know, just <laughs> just relax, right. like it's going to be okay, <laughs> like these exactly. things happen, you know. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, don't freak and, out and, too much. And you know what, let me, let me, let me. Let me just punctuate that a bit because I think we have, in, in to me, recent times, become very much fear-based. Yes. Uh, yes. It's it's you know so business people are fear-based. You know they they're you know look at look at the amount of cash that people are hoarding. Corporations are hoarding. I mean just crazy amounts of cash, and so we have a lot of fear-based 
as as a as a starting point. You know, if you read the papers or watch the news, I mean, it's just the world's coming to an end. And so I think I'm hopeful that the millennials will kind of help break that some of that cycle and let's be a little bit more back to what we used to do. Like think about the guys coming back from World War II and it was I mean, look at the economy that was created after that and the oh, yeah. booming the housing boom and the you know the the exciting technologies and things. I want us to get back to that where we're being creative and solving problems and using technologies and companies and being very passionate about building things and not not living in this sense of, of fear all the time and you know being afraid to 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 make a mistake and you know we need more new businesses to be started we need more young people to be creating new ideas and concepts and and kind of not being shackled by this concept of of fear and failure uh, That's we need right. to be more excited about taking risks and more excited about what can be that's right. That's, I, that's what to me is exciting. I'm hoping the millennials will help us get back. to that. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think that the problem is, is right now, because in a digital world, everything is 24 uh, seven. You mm. almost have to hunt for good news. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah. you can that's see right. bad news no matter where you go. And I think there are a lot of people doing some very unique things out there um, that that, un- that unfortunately we kind of almost have to go digging for 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 some mm-hmm. great news. Um, here's the thing. We have a few minutes left and I have like two uh, questions I want to make sure that I ask you in the time that we have remaining. Um, sure. I, I want to shift gears here because as a CEO and, and as somebody who deals with CEOs on a consistent basis, uh, I, I'm very fascinated by this question I'm going to ask you because I, I, in, the, in light of recent things that we've seen with a lot of companies, even since the 80s uh, up until now, uh, comp- uh, you know, leaders tend to um, find millions of different ways of how to do this one thing. And I'm going to ask you today, David, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> All right. You walk into the office one day and you get a notification that it's urgent. You got to come to, you know, your situation room. Right. And you mm-hmm. find out that there's an issue inside of the company uh, and it's going to impact your customers and it's going to possibly impact some employees. Uh, and, you know, as the leader, you got to go out there and apologize. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of different versions of apologizing, right, <laughs> by, by leaders mm-hmm. and companies before. How do you apologize as a CEO and why do you think so many struggle with uh, doing it in a heartfelt way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, of course, that's a hypothetical, and so it's hard to say, you know, how how you address it because I think part of it depends on what you know the situation is that's being addressed. But sure. Let me answer. Let me answer your question this way. Um, as the CEO, you have to, I think, very much um, accept responsibility for what other people may have done in your organization. Um, you know, it's a little bit of the um, commanding officer on the ship, and if the ship runs aground, you know, even though you may not have been the one that did it, you're still responsible, and you've got to you've got to take that responsibility. I will tell you, I think that the whole concept of uh, apologies or uh, a level of empathy uh, is perceived by some to be a sign of weakness. Hmm and admission of failure and so I think part of it is people don't want really at the end of the day to admit failure and I think it's it's hard 
um, for people to stand up and admit failure. I mean, no, people just don't like to do that. Um, and so I think part of what a CEO has to do is, first of all, get control of the situation, identify what really happened, make sure you've got facts that you're dealing with, not just, you know, like, like nowadays, for example, security breaches are a big thing that people like me worry about. Right. Um, but, but if something happens, um, you've got to get, make sure you're dealing with facts, not, you know, innuendo or rumor or conjecture, but really get facts. And I think the more you can get input from your trusted um, uh, colleagues, um, and then take hold of the situation, and you gotta you gotta be the leader, and you gotta take charge, and and if making a public apology is part of that, I think you've gotta um, you've gotta really stand fast and do that because no one else can do that. There is no one else in the organization that has the position, the authority, or the mantle to do that. You are it. David, you mean and to tell me that I cannot send my spokesperson out to give my apology? Nope. You can. I don't think it works. Because I don't think anybody believes it. Huh. Interesting. So <laughs> I don't think anybody believes it. I, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I would I would say that um some of I believe the the reason why this is also difficult is has a lot to do with um how much practice we put into that very thing. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think if it's, you know, small things, right? <laughs> hey, you know what? I know you're my assistant and I apologize for putting, you know, five different things on the calendar. <laughs> Right. right. And I didn't tell right. we didn't have a conversation about it. Right. Uh, going down and talking to your, you know, you know, comms team about, you know, a decision that you made, you know, and saying, hey, my bad. I, I forgot. I, I think right. sometimes we don't practice enough. And I feel like sometimes showing that empathy and showing that sincere uh, willingness to raise your hand and say, hey, that's on me, um, right. I think is not a practiced enough. Right. And so when something large happens, uh, we look for. Uh, methodology as opposed to honesty, right? We right. look for, you know, right. a systematic way of doing things as opposed to just saying, look, just take it on the chin. Like people will respect right. you more for that as opposed to waiting nine days to come up with this, you know, really fabricated answer given by your marketing team. Yeah, exactly. And But I also wonder how many people this in this day and age are worried about litigation. Ah, interesting. Huh. If I accept responsibility, am I also accepting, you know, liability? Wow. You, you know, I, I I had not even thought about that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. And that might be a very, you're speaking to fear again, but that might be very well true. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I think there's an element of that. I do. I think there's an element of that. Interesting. All right. Last question for you, David. You, 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 you're, you're, you're awesome at this. <laughs> this is great. I could talk to you all day. So. Um, there's a lot of our audience who might be uh, emerging leadership in their in their company, in their career. Mm-hmm. They might be, you know, senior managers now, but they have their eye on being an executive. Right. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give them to breaking into the C-suites of their companies today? Um, there are a number of things that I would give them as advice, but here's one um if I was going to synthesize it into one salient point, it would be this. What is it that you bring to the table? Um, 
and I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but how are you really going to help solve problems, take on responsibilities, grow the business? You know, what is it that you're bringing to the table? Um, you know, a number of times I've been in meetings with folks that, you know, wanted to kind of break up to the next level, and it was the conversation to me was more about, you know, kind of reading their resume and what's the company going to do for them. And again, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit to make the point. But I think really um, effective up-and-coming stars are those that um, take on a lot of responsibility, show a lot of initiative, and really take on a, an attitude and a mentality that says I'm a team player and this is what I can bring uh, to that next level. I want more responsibility. So being a giver as opposed to a taker, um, I think, is an important kind of mindset um, uh, for that. Um, you know, and outside of that, I think there's a lot of things that they can do in terms of, you know, building relationships, you know, uh, being involved in things, giving back to the community, you know, showing that they are you know, really committed to taking on that level of responsibility because, you know, I think, I think most of us that are in positions of moving people forward want um, to, to tap talent. And I think it comes through hard work as opposed to pick me. Ah. Hmm. Um, so it's just, it, to me, a lot of it has to do with that sense of attitude, you know, not entitlement, but enrichment. You know, I'm going to enrich the company because of my abilities and expand because I can do this and I can take on more responsibility and I can add more value. Um, and um, so I, I think if I was going to synthesize it, that's how I would do it. Interesting. All yeah. right. Well, well, David, listen, th this conversation um, will be one that I'm sure uh, our audience, I will personally, but I know our audience of executives and our audience of uh, emerging leadership will definitely listen to. Thank you for um, number one, just taking your time. Um, I, time is one thing that we cannot get back. Um, mm -hmm. And so anytime right. that I'm able to talk with someone like you who has a, a vast amount of knowledge and experience and expertise, um, I don't take it for granted. And I know our audience doesn't uh, at all. And so thank you for, you know, just taking the time out to be able to talk with me and, and, and sharing a little bit of insight with our audience today. Thank you very much. It's, it's really a pleasure for me to do this. And I'm humbled uh, that you asked me and I I hope uh, some of our conversation imparts some and sparks some people to um, do something different than or continue to do what they're doing. But again, I am honored and thankful for the opportunity to, to talk with you today, Chris. I very much enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, this interview was fascinating to do. Um, I was so uh, in some ways nervous maybe in interviewing David just because of the wealth of knowledge I would say and just I, I think probably more so than anything I was excited to be able to talk to someone in his space who does what he does on a day in and day out basis who cares about emerging leadership and who also cares about his customer and ultimately uh, companies being able to be as successful as they can be um, it was fascinating so thank you to David thank you to Lydia Fairfax yes I'm calling her out by name uh, who was incredible and keeping 
keeping lines of communication open and us working through uh, calendars and scheduling. Uh, as you can imagine, it's hard to get CEOs a lot of time, but I was so thankful for Lydia and all that she did. And thank you. Thank you, our audience, for taking the time out to listen to the show today. I would love it to get your feedback and your ideas and you sharing on social media. So why don't you do us a flavor by sharing this on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter with the handle at high level wisdom all together and just share it. Share with your friends, share with it even on LinkedIn. Uh, you can share this episode as well. And I would love to get your comments. If you would love to leave us a comment or an idea, you can send me an email directly. Chris at highlevelwisdom.com or you can go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com. Click on the episodes tab. You'll find the episode for today and many, many other CEOs that we've interviewed. Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great day and whatever you choose today, make sure you do it at a high level. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.